Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you're a guest, we want to welcome you. We're so glad you're here to worship with us. Again, there is a card in the seat back pocket in front of you called a Connect card. If you would fill that card out and take it to... Uh, the information center, which is directly across the sanctuary doors. We have a little packet we want to give you, give you some information about who we are, what we believe, and whatnot. So make sure you do that. I want to welcome those on, online with us this morning. Uh, we know that uh, um, Bob Davis, Bill Davis is in the hospital. Melinda, they're watching. Hi, guys. How are you? Yes, let's uh, say hi to these guys. Yeah. Good morning. Yeah. You probably couldn't hear them, but that's cool. They clap for you. So uh, we're, we're praying for you, Bill. We hope you get uh, feeling better. And, um, and uh, also anyone else who's listening. Uh, you guys ready for the word this morning? Man, I, I've been meditating on John chapter 16 for like six weeks. So I've just been sitting in John chapter 16, just soaking it in. And, and the, it's been so good for me. And I hope you are going to be as blessed as I have been, as I uh, um, have just been sitting in God's word this particular chapter for quite some time. We are back in our sermon series, the Follow Me series, which is... The study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. We are nearly done, folks. We've been on this journey for three, almost three years, a little over three years, and we are almost complete. Um, and so uh, John chapter 16 this morning, stand with me if you would, please. We're actually going to take a step back and go into John 15 so we can get some good context running into John 16. Uh, so we'll start at verse 18 of John chapter 15. Here's what the word says. If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I, had come, if I had not come and spoke to them, they would have not been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And I will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they do this and they, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that although there is great persecution in this world as it relates to those who love you, there is great comfort, there is help for those in need, Lord. We thank you that we are desperate this morning and in need and that you have sent your spirit upon us, God. And we ask you, Lord, to speak into our hearts. Encourage us, Lord. Strengthen us. Build our faith this morning, Lord. That as we encounter these various trials in life, these persecutions from the world, the hatred that will come as a result of loving you, God, that we stand firm in our faith. Lord, that we don't recant or deny, Lord, that we stand strong and represent you well. We ask you to awaken our hearts this morning, Lord, to your word, and help us to see that you have not left us alone, that we have your spirit within us. If we are regenerated, if we are born again, your spirit is inside of us. We have God within us. And so we ask you this morning, Lord, to draw us close, open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you could be seated. How many of you guys read warning labels? Anybody read warning? Guys, you can put your hands down. We know that you know everything about everything, so you don't read anything. But, but ladies, we know you probably read the warning labels. Why do you suppose that there's warning labels on things? 
to warn you exactly. The, the, the point of it is to say, hey, here's kind of the disclaimer usually. If you use this product, you know, here's the warning, something will happen. Or if you use it this way, be careful because this is what could happen. You know, failure to comply with these, these warnings may result in death or serious injury. You ever read that? You're thinking, whoa, this is a candy bar. How can I, there's a warning on my candy bar. How can that work? There, there are warnings. Now, I like to think that the warning labels are placed upon products because the people care about me and they care about, uh, you know, what, how I'm going to use this product. They're, they're concerned about myself. It turns out that that's not the case. It turns out that there are people in this world that have no common sense, right? And so they have to protect themselves against such people. Let me, let me illustrate. On a wheelbarrow, they have a wheelbarrow, and, and here is the disclaimer, not intended for highway use. Now, you think, you know, one of those pull-behind wheelbarrows, that, you, you're going to hook that up to your car, really? I mean, and you're going to take it on the highway. People do it, believe it or not. There, somebody has done that. Hopefully, you're not here this morning. Uh, warning on a baby stroller. Remove child before folding. Now, you think, what? They have to warn us of these things because we are too smart for our good, right? You know, I, I worked at a company in Montana, and uh, we used hot glue labels. And uh, so we had this machine that had a tray of hot glue on the back side of it, and it had this, uh, this kind of upright 45-degree angle, and then a label would slide down and put glue on it, and it would, you know, put it on the bottle. Well, you know, it had a huge warning thing on the back side of this, of this labeler, and it said, warning, hot glue, right? Do not, and it had a picture of do not stick your hand in there. One of the guys, really smart guy at my work, he was walking by the machine, and he decided to stick his hand in it. Guess what? It was hot glue. That was not lying. And he had third-degree burns all over his hand, all over his arm. Glue went everywhere, got it on his face, everything. Why? He didn't read the sign. He didn't listen to the sign. He, he, he was lacking some common sense. These are real things, folks. These are real warnings. These are put in place to help us remind ourselves that there is danger. Now, as we come to John chapter 16, Jesus has been giving us some warnings like this. He has been saying, hey, watch out for this. Be careful. Understand what's going to happen. These are the final words of Jesus to his disciples. He cares about them. Therefore, he warns them. He's giving them warnings. He's telling them, hey, be careful. It is, by way of a reminder, Mahdi Thursday. Why do we call it Mahdi Thursday? Well, because the word Mahdi in the Latin literally means command. If you recall, you were with us in John 13. Jesus gave a new commandment. Remember that? John 13, 34 through 35, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you have love for one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus, after washing the disciples' feet, gives them this new commandment. These are the last hours of Jesus' life, literally. He will be arrested in just a few hours. And so what does he do? He's warning his disciples. He is teaching them about the things to come. He's saying, be careful. You know, it would like, you know, it's like he's putting a disclaimer on the Christian life. And he says, you know, warning, this is a dangerous life. You know, you're, you're not going to have a lot of comfort in this life in terms of the external. The world's going to come at you, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus is saying the direct opposite of what the most people present to people in, the, um, in churches today. They're saying, hey, it's an easy life. Come on in. Actually, it's difficult. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus said, you know, narrow is the gate that leads to life. And difficult is the way. Difficult is the path. It's a difficult journey, but it's worth it. But it's worth it. You know, and so Jesus wants us to understand the difficulties that we're going to encounter. Not only do we have this conflict within ourselves. Anybody with me on that? Like, I want to do this, but I'm doing this. What is wrong with me? Lord, help me to change. We have that internal struggle going on, but also we have the world coming at us. We have all kinds of, uh, you know, external things pressuring us. And Jesus says, hey, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus is giving us literally sayings that save. 
saints that save. That's the title of my message this morning. As we enter into John chapter 16, Jesus said these things that I have said to you that you might not fall away. Now, as we get into this text and we understand the words that he is saying, they are warnings to us. They're meant to help us to be saved from the things that are coming. Not that we're not going to go through them, but that we might not fall away. That word there, fall away, in the Greek is scandalizo, and it literally is describing a trap. You know, like one of those traps you would see where it's kind of propped up and you have a stick that's holding it up and there's bait on the stick and as, as the varmint would come in and tri- trigger the, tra- the trap, it would hit the stick and it would fall down and trap them. They are caught off guard. That's literally what he's, what he's talking about. He's saying you're going to be walking along in life, loving people, loving God. You're going to be doing all these things and all of a sudden you may find yourself entrapped in something. Beware, it's going to happen. He's telling us that the world is setting up snares for us. There are those that are lying in wait to to, to persecute the believer. That's what he just got done saying in John chapter 15. He said, hey, the world is going to hate you because it hated me. A servant's not greater than his master. So these are the things that we can expect. He's saying there are traps set for you. Beware of the trap. He's trying to warn them. You know, and there are those that will, you know, go through life and they'll disregard the warning. They don't read God's word. They don't know what it says. They don't understand that. And when they encounter these things, they say, how come this happened to me? I thought I thought I was a Christian. Well, that doesn't work. Right. You've heard it. Well, I've tried tried Christianity. I don't think you did. Did you read his word? Did you read the warnings that came along with the lifestyle? He said you could expect these things. And in fact, if you're experiencing these things, you know you're on the right path. You know, you know, and, and I don't mean by purposely putting yourself in these situations to make them happen. If you encounter these things by loving Jesus, then you're on the right path. Jesus said, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away, from being caught off guard. Not departing from your faith. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about somebody who's entrapped, who is, uh, you know, in, just all of a sudden they are caught off guard. These are sayings that save. Now, Jesus is going to warn his disciples as we move through this chapter here about the things that they can expect. And he's saying life will become harder. Life's going to become harder. Don't worry about it, though. I have given you something to overcome that, that difficulty. You see, when God tells us about difficulty, he also tells us about the way of escape. He helps us to understand that there is strength in our weakness, that we can overcome things that we didn't think we could before because the Holy Spirit is inside of us. He's given us something. He's left us something that is to our advantage. And so we'll talk about that. As we move through verses 2 through 6, Jesus Uh, reveals some realities to his disciples about what they can expect moving forward. The first thing that we see is that they are going to be rejects of society. Look at verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. When uh, when When following Jesus, we can be assured that rejection is a certainty. It will happen. You will be rejected. He says they will put you, they will put you out of the synagogue. It's not a matter of if, they will do it. You will be set outside the synagogue. Well, what does that mean in this culture? Remember, we have to go backwards historically. We have to understand what is he talking about? Put you out of the synagogue. Big deal. I don't go to the synagogue. No big, no big whoop. And in fact, in our culture, if you were to even just try and, you know, equivalent what he's saying, I'll, I'll put you out of the church. No big deal. I'll go to another one. Well, you have to understand that in this culture, the synagogue was the center of everything. Not just religiously, socially, economically, This was a social center. This was the hub of life. Everything operated around the synagogue. When you went to a town, you went to the synagogue. When you you wanted to meet people, you went to the synagogue. This is where community was. What Jesus is saying is that they will put you outside of community. You will be rejected. You will be a cast cast away. You will not uh, be able to even get a job. You will be blackballed from society. You'll lose your family, your friends. Literally, life as you know it will be completely different. Will be completely different. Jesus is saying you're going to experience extreme hardship socially, economically, 
as well as physically, which we'll talk about in a moment. Listen, this practice continues today, doesn't it? Where people are literally put outside of society because they follow Jesus. Maybe you know what that feels like. You came to Christ and you lost a friend. You lost some family members. You lost someone you love dearly because you're following Jesus. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you've been persecuted in your job because, you know, you're, you're not moving up because your boss knows you're a Christian and he doesn't like you because of that. We know what it's like in Western society, but you have to understand in Eastern culture, even today, there are those that when they make a decision to follow Jesus, their families will hold funerals for them. They'll say, you're dead to me because you're now following Jesus. It happens. It's happening today, folks. It's also happening in our culture. As I said, you know, we're affected sometimes socially, economically. However, we must not fear rejection from society, but fear God and walk with him. The world hates Jesus, folks. We can't expect them to love us. If they do, then perhaps we're more like the world than we are like Jesus. If we fit more into the world, if the world accepts us more than, than though, you know, and they're loving us and bringing us in, perhaps it's because we're not truly representing Christ. You, you know, that's the dichotomy of the church at this day and age, is although we want to be relative, we want to be influencers in our culture, too often times we dole down the work of Christ in our lives to, to, for the sake of trying to relate. Don't do that. Listen, you stand for Christ. You be Christ to the world. The world doesn't need somebody who is trying to be like the world. They need Jesus. We don't, ha- we don't become like the world to try and relate to the world so that the world can relate to Christ. We stand firm and become like Jesus. And you know what? If the world rejects you, they reject in him. Right? We'll see later here as we get in, into this move. Uh, you know, it's the move of the Holy Spirit. You're never going to convince somebody to come to Christ by trying to be relative with them. You're never going to convince them by fancy words or trying to, you know, come up with great illustrations or, you know, any of these things. You will never, ever, uh, you're, not the, you're not the agent that God uses in that particular moment. It's the Holy Spirit. We'll see that in a second. We have to be careful that we don't, reject Christ in the effort to not be rejected by the world. I don't mean reject Christ in terms of I'm not following you anymore. I'm, I'm talking about living for him in the world where we allow, you know, the world's principles to come into our lives rather than the Lord's. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32-33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is telling us that we are to keep him first regardless of what it means for us to acknowledge him. Don't deny the Lord in your office, in your workplace, anywhere you are because you you, you feel rejected by society. Don't try and fit in. Be Jesus. Just be Jesus. Spurgeon said this. I love what he said about that passage in Matthew 10. He said, Whatever Jesus Christ is to you on earth, you will be to him in the day of judgment. If he be dear and precious to you, you will be dear and precious to him. If you thought everything of him, he will think everything of you. I like that. That's what he said. He said, acknowledge me before men and I will acknowledge you before my father. It's not a work. It's a fruit. It's a fruit of the spirit that we acknowledge Christ, that we are taking the gospel into the world that we are acknowledging that Jesus Christ saves and that is the that is the message of the gospel folks nothing is worth denying Christ for certainly not to fit in with this world that's for sure Jesus said what is it what does it benefit you if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul what does it benefit you live for Christ it might cost you your very breath but it's worth it look at verse 2 he said the next thing we see is he said there will be persecution in the name of God indeed the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God and they will do these things because they have not known the father nor me you ever notice that people do all kinds of stuff in the name of God you ever watch the news you're thinking 
Well, a band of Christians just assembled outside a Planned Parenthood, and they just bombed the Planned Parenthood in the name of Jesus. And you're thinking, the name of Jesus? In the name of God? What are you doing? That is not in the name of God. Of course it's happening. We've got to start in the house first, and then we'll move outside. But it's happening within those fractions of the church that, who will stand outside with picket signs, and they will ridicule, and they will blaspheme, and, and even kill, get destructive with people in the name of God. That is not the way that the Lord would have us to respond to evil. Is that how Jesus did it? It's not the way Jesus did it. Jesus loved people. In fact, sinners found themselves uh, to the point that they would come to him. They were interested in Jesus, not because he, blast, not because he would uh, you know, speak uh, hatred towards them or anything like that. It's because he loved people. You want to represent the Lord right, you've got to love. You've got to love beyond yourself, don't you? You've got to have that Holy Spirit kind of love that isn't based on how I'm being treated or based on what I'm seeing. But, but the Bible says that Jesus died even while we were yet still sinners. It's that kind of love that we need to be flowing through our hearts. And the only way that you can get that kind of love is to get on your face before the Lord and just be consumed by his love. Because you were once one of those, weren't you? Remember who you once were. Don't forget Jesus says here, listen, people will do all kinds of things in my name, but that doesn't mean that they are representatives of mine. Hey, I have four kids. They bear my name. They don't always do the things that I would say represent me well. I still claim them. They're my kids. I love them. And yet, they go in my name and they do things and they might not accurately represent who I am. That is the same parallel of what Christians do in the name of God. Doesn't, you know, there are those who will do things, and the Lord won't be like, oh, man, my kid, what is he doing? He loves you where you are, and he will help to mature you. But listen, don't misrepresent him. Read the word of God. Understand the heart of God towards people. He loves people. He's not coming. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Remember your calling. is salvation, not condemnation. Remember that. Jesus says, listen, there are those in this society that are going to come against you, and they think that they're going to offer the service of God. We know that this happened. It began as it relates to the church in the house of Israel. It happened in the Jews. They began to persecute the church first. Then it moved outside of that, uh, uh, Judaism into Roman, the Romans, and then it continues on, and so on and so forth. The, the biggest um, persecutor of the church in this day and age is Islam who we're dealing with we're dealing with uh, you know people who are doing their service in the name of God in the name of their God Allah and they proclaim that that they are you know killing people in the name of God if you are not a convert of Islam you should die conversion by the sword unfortunately the church has done that at one point in its life misrepresenting God in the name of God God is a God of love he loves people he loves him so much that he would send his own son to die on the cross. Why would he send you to destroy? He came himself. He could have done it himself. Listen, there are those in this world that are doing that. Uh, you know, one of the biggest persecutors of the church became one of the greatest apostles to ever live, the Apostle Paul. You know his story. On the way to Damascus, he was going to persecute people. And then he was arrested by Jesus Christ. It was interesting, Acts 22, 4 through 5, Paul recounts this. He said, I persecuted this way to death. He killed Christians. He said, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of the elders can bear, wit bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul thought that he was doing a service to God. He said, I am serving God. He was a zealot. He wanted to serve God with everything that he had. As a little boy, he sat before a teacher, and he was taught, and he was, you know, he had the education. He understood the scriptures and all of that, and yet he completely misapplied God's word in his life. God never, ever, uh, you know, at this point in time, Christ had come. Persecution uh, was going to come upon the church, not through the church. And so the Apostle Paul, not 
converting, was persecuting Jesus himself. Jesus said to him in Acts 9, 4 through 5, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. At that point, Paul understood that he was following the wrong voice. Now listen, here's what I'm saying, is that sometimes we think we're doing something that's right and it's the direct opposite. It's wrong. Sometimes in our effort to be godly, we are being ungodly. Sometimes in our effort to rightly represent God, we are completely and totally blowing it. How do we know? Pray. Look at God's word. Ask the Lord, is this your will? Don't just act. Listen, if you just act, you'll become like Peter and you'll constantly be taking your foot out of the mouth to insert the other one. You will continually do that. Ask the Lord. Look in his word. Is what he's saying contrary to scripture? The word will always lead you on the right path. It will always lead you on the right path. Look at his word. Paul, at that point in time, had the very words of Christ. He was arrested by the word. And he said, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. And you, you can imagine. You can imagine what he dealt with the rest of his life. As a, as a believer, just thinking, man, I persecuted the church. And the Lord had to constantly remind him, and perhaps this is a word for you today, that he had forgiven him. That what he had done in the past is in the past and you need to leave it in the past. You need to press on towards the, towards the prize and stop worrying about what you did. Receive the forgiveness from Christ today and just move on. Paul had to do that. And he did much worse things than I, I guarantee you have. And he said he received that forgiveness and look at how powerful of a testimony this man had. Your past might be dark. It might be extremely dark. But listen, if the light has come inside of you, God can use you tremendously. Don't let your past hold you back. Move forward. Press, press on towards the prize. I find it interesting that those who persecute Christ the most in terms of aggressively, are those, those, those are the biggest targets for salvation. You know, you read about even today, go to Open Doors, you know, um, USA and uh, online, and you can read about the, the persecuted church, and you can read about how many people are converting from Islam to Christianity as a result of persecuting the church and watching Christians die for their faith and, and the Holy Spirit drawing that person and helping them understand you're listening to the wrong voice. You're listening to the wrong voice. And, and it's amazing to, to listen. You can read about the testimonies of people that have literally slain Christians who, who decide, oh, man, what have I done? The Holy Spirit gets a hold of them, and, and they become converts. And they start to listen to the Lord rather than the enemy. There are testimony after testimony after testimony, and Paul is one of those. Don't ever count the Lord out. Don't ever count the Lord out and you're with the enemies in your life. He is at work, man. He is trying to woo them. You know, you have somebody in your office that is just hating you. Just love on them. Pray for them. You know, it's easy to say with a smile on your face, but, but the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to do that. He wants you to do that. He wants you to represent Christ well. You know, and, and, and Jesus, even to the very last breath of his life, was saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what I do. He, they know not what they do. Lord, help them. Listen, when you have Christ inside of you, when you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you know that you are been, you've been regenerated, that you have been justified before the Father and you're forgiven. You ought to have a heart for those who aren't. You ought to have a heart for them saying, Lord, they don't know. Will you help them to come to that place of understanding? Pray for those people in your life that are making your life difficult. Pray for them. Love on them. Do random acts of kindness towards them like Jesus would do. Hey, they may never, ever bow their knee to the Lord, but I promise you, when you get to heaven, the Lord will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what he wants us to do is represent him, not represent us. We're not here to build anything for ourselves. We're here to build his name, and that's the way he does things. He loves people right where they are. He says that not only are they going to experience rejection and persecution, but also, look, separation. Look at verse 4 there. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of 
you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus goes on to tell us here um, why he said these things. Now, this is the second time he says this here. I have said these things. And as you continue on through John chapter 16, Jesus is going to continue to repeat that phrase. Just a word of advice as Bible students here. When you see a phrase repeated over and over again, it's important. You look at that phrase and you start to ask yourself the question, why does he keep saying that? And you start to dig into that phrase. What is he saying? Why does he keep saying this? He's trying to help them understand that everything he is saying relates to something. He's trying to give an overall view of something by saying, hey, I have summarized. Let me summarize. I've said these things to you. Why? Firstly, that you might not fall away, that you might not be caught off guard. That's number one. Number two, he says, the reason I I say these things to you is that you might remember them when I go away. Now, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, remember these words. You're not going to remember them. The Holy Spirit's going to have to remind you. But I'm saying these things to you that when the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance the words that I've said, you're going to say this. Everything he said is true. Everything he said is true. What Jesus is doing is pointing us to his word. He's pointing us to his word. He's saying, look at my word. Remember my word. And isn't it interesting that when you find yourself struggling in difficulty, that it's the word of God that pops up in your mind. If it isn't, perhaps you need to get more of the word in you. You need to get the word inside that the Holy Spirit might remind you. Jesus, he taught his disciples, and he didn't expect them to remember everything, but he said, the Holy Spirit will remind you of the things that I said. Get the word of God inside. You know, not not necessarily in a you know, in, in a regurgitative fashion, but hide the word in your heart and the Holy Spirit will remind you of those things. It's amazing to me when I'm doing things, when I'm, when I'm you know, in the middle of something maybe I shouldn't be doing and the Holy Spirit says, Tim, remember this scripture. And I'm like, oh, yeah, oh man, darn it. Or, you know, I'm in the middle of trying to counsel somebody else and I'm like lost for words. And trust me, I'm praying the whole time, Lord, please, I got no counsel. I got nothing to give these people. Will you help me, Lord? And the Lord will remind me of scriptures and things. And he does the same for you. He is pointing them to his word. I have said these things to you that you might remember them when I go away. Now, he is is telling them that there is going to be need to remember because there is going to be difficulty along the path. But they're going to have to remember the big picture. When you're caught in the weeds, sometimes you forget that time is short. You know, I was just saying last week how quickly the year had gone by last year, thinking, holy cow, it's already 2018. And we're going to say that next year. We're going to say, oh, my gosh, it's already 2019. It's coming so fast. But understand in the weeds, when you're in the weeds, that it seems like it's going slow, doesn't it? It's not. Time is flying by. Don't forget. Redeem the time. Use your time wisely. The Lord is telling them, uh, you know, I'm going to remind you of, uh, of the things that are going to happen, and when they happen, you're going to be reminded of my word. I am going away. Now, he keeps repeating this phrase as well. Um, you know, he keeps pointing people to the Father, doesn't he? You read it, we read it in chapter 15, verse 18. They do these things, they hate me because they don't know me or they don't know my Father. It's about the Father. They, they think that they're following the, the, the father and they're not following the father. They're following the wrong God. Jesus is pointing to the father. He always points to the father and he says, now I'm going to the father. Now that should be exciting uh, for the disciples. They should be, oh man, the one that sent you, you are now going back to, you. there's going to be a reconnection, you know, kind of like how we do when somebody dies and we think, oh, you're going to heaven. Well, that's so great for you. And yet, sometimes we make it too much about ourselves, don't we? And we start to live in sorrow and we start to be so saddened, you know, because of our loss. And yet, look at their gain. That is the point in which Jesus is making. He's telling his disciples, listen, you're so focused on yourself. He says that in a roundabout way. You're so focused on yourselves that you don't even ask me where I'm going. Now, understand, Peter asked him in chapter 13 and Thomas in chapter 14 where he was going. But in this particular moment, Everything's changing. Jesus is saying, you're not even asking me where I'm going. You are so self-focused. And listen, we, when we are so self-focused, we miss the most important lessons, don't we? 
we're so focused on ourselves. He said, sorrow has filled your heart. Now, they're sorry. They're sorrowful that Jesus is leaving for sure because they want him to be with him forever and all of that. Of course, who wouldn't want to walk with Jesus? They're sorrowful because of that. And yet Jesus says, you're not really sorry. You're not really sorrowful because I'm leaving. You're sorrowful because of what it means for you. You're not looking at it from my perspective of what it means for me, but you're more concerned about what it means for you. Isn't that contrary to the word? Doesn't it say consider other people's interests more than yourself? And yet so oftentimes we're so self-focused. And he's telling his disciples, get your eyes on things above. Get them on the things above. I'm going to be with the Father. You should be rejoicing in, the, in where I'm going. You should be happy for me. It's something we struggle with. And that person in your office gets the promotion that you wanted. And you're not happy for them. You're sad for yourself. Well, of course, you say you're happy. Oh, congratulations. But inside, you're like, poor me. And you're having a little pity patty. Oh, come here, buddy. Let me give you a little hug. You know, and you're sad for yourself because it didn't happen to you. The Bible tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. That we should, you know, Jesus in this moment, you know, it, this is going to be a difficult transition for him. And in the moment that, he, that his disciples should be supporting him and saying, hey, let me help you. He's saying, you need to help me. I need to get over my sorrow. Help me, Lord. Thankfully, God is so good to us, right? That he sees us right where we are and he says, okay, I understand. You don't know the plan. The sorrow has come as a result of, uh, you know, you not understanding the plan. Your sadness is a result of your self-focus. You don't understand why God is doing this. And he's not necessarily giving you all the details, but we have to trust him. And that's the point. Because all of us are going to go through difficult stuff in our lives. And it all comes back to one thing. Trust the Lord. No matter what you're going to go through, trust God. You might get diagnosed with cancer. Trust God. You know, you, you, might, you might, someone in your family may die. Trust the Lord. You know, trust God in your difficulties. That's what he's telling these people. Trust the Lord. He's active. He's alive. What did he say? He's pointing us to his word. What does his word say about our difficulties? That God works everything about, out for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Yeah, I just don't see how that can happen. You're not trusting God. You're not trusting God. Just because I can't see how it can work out for my good doesn't mean that it can't. God says, trust me. Trust me, someone's supposed to wake up right now. Oh, wait a second, my alarm's going off. Oh. <laughs> Listen, the disciples are saddened. It's a pity party for them. Jesus is going away, and now they're thinking, oh, man, my life's over. What am I going to do? And I love this about God, is that in the midst of their sorrow and their sadness, he fills them with comfort. And he tells the disciples, listen, this is the difficulty. Here's the warning. But here's, here's the consolation. Here's, here is the comfort. Here's the hug. Here we go. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, nevertheless. Now, anytime you come to a paragraph that starts with, a word that says therefore or nevertheless, it's important that you understand what he's saying. He's saying nevertheless, in spite of your sorrow, even though you're sad, listen up. I'm telling you the truth. He's trying to bring some joy to the situation. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't, I can't help, I can't send the helper to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. What is that called? When someone tells you something that if you, if you do this, I will do this. What is that called? Or not, not, a, not a condition, but they just say, I will do this. What is that? It's a promise. It's a promise. Jesus is giving them a promise. He just said, trust my word, point, pointing us to his word, and then he gives them a promise, and he says, I want to make you a promise right now. I know you're sad, but let me promise you that as I leave, this will work out better for you. This will work out way better for you. They didn't see that. How in the world can you work this out for my good? What do you mean you're going away? My life's over. And Jesus says, oh, no, it's just begun. 
You haven't seen anything yet. Yes, you've been walking with me, talking with me, hugging me, hanging out with me. That's great, and I love that time. But understand, I'm one person. The incarnate Christ was never meant to stay here forever. He was meant to come. He was on mission from the Lord. He came from the Father to the earth to become a sacrifice for you and I. That was the point in in which he came. He came to say, hey, I'm the sacrificial lamb. I will uh, take away the sins of the world. The disciples thought he came to restore. And Jesus said, oh, I came to restore, but not in the restoration that you're thinking. I came to restore your soul. I came to save you from condemnation. Yes, the world. I will come and inhabit the world one day, but that is not this mission. This mission is purposeful, purposely only for me to die on the cross and to rise again, and then I will ascend to the Father, and one day I will come back, and I will inhabit this earth for a thousand years. But until then, be of good cheer. He's telling them, listen, get focused. Understand that it's your, your advantage that I go away. They don't understand it. So Jesus drops the bomb on him. He tells him, listen, the parakletos is coming for you, the helper. He is the adversary. He is the intercessor, and he's coming for you. He's going to come and reside inside of you. I can only be at one place at one time. Do you know that when Jesus walked the earth, he wasn't in everybody's house where two or three gathered. Jesus was not there while he was here. He he was there, but he wasn't. You know, he was not physically there because he was wherever he was. He was only, he was a man at that point. He had emptied himself. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away, that I might be able to, where two or three gathered, that I might be able to inhabit that place. Because I got to go away for that to happen. He wasn't omnipresent on earth. It's to your advantage that I go away. Oh, you, I'm with you momentarily, temporarily, but I'll be with you forever. I will never leave you or forsake you, he said. He's telling them, listen, it's to your advantage. Not only that, but I will fill you with a power that comes from high. I will rescue you inside where you have so much turmoil, so many questions, so much going on. The Holy Spirit will just begin to minister to, to your heart and begin to heal those wounds within. You know, he'll use my word to do that. Jesus said, I will go to the Father and ask him to send the Holy Spirit. He'd been saying this to them. John 14, 16 through 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. John 15, 26, but when the helper comes whom I send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. Jesus is saying, I'm going to the Father that he might send you the spirit. He's going to send you something that is far more advantageous for you than me standing here with you today. I don't get that. Well, trust his word. Trust him. That's what he's saying. The father loves us, and he, man, he wants what's best for us too. And so he designed the plan. And he said, my son, Jesus is going to come. He's going to die. He's going to rise again from the dead. He's going to ascend. And then I'm going to send the spirit who is the guarantee, who is the one that will seal you, be within you, walk with you through this life. It's to your advantage that the Holy Spirit be within you because he's the power of God. He's the one that Jesus was filled with. Remember when he was baptized, the spirit fell upon him. The spirit came down, descended on him. And that's why he did all the things that he did. And Jesus is saying, I want to send the same spirit that's within me inside of you. He doesn't want to just be God with us. He wants to be God in us. He said, I want to send the Holy Spirit within you. And it's to your advantage that I go away because if I don't, I can't do that. Jesus goes on to tell us why this is advantageous for us. The very first thing that he says is, look, the Holy Spirit will begin to do the work that I've called you to. He will go before you and he will begin to convict the world because you are now sent on mission to go into the world and take the gospel into the world and I will go before you and I will begin to convict the heart. And then as you come as a vessel of the Holy Spirit, I will continue that work unto salvation for many. The Holy Spirit has to come. And so he says in verse 8, and when he comes... 
he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the father and you uh, see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Listen, the Holy Spirit is working in the world right now to convict. That's what he's doing. He's convicting. F.F. Bruce said that in the ancient word, convict has a broader range of meaning than our word convict, especially as it's understood. In the le- it's supposed to, it's a legal term. It carries the idea of to expose, to refute, and to convince. I love that. God is not just trying to make us feel bad. He's trying to convince us. He's trying to help us to see our need. Look, look at the first thing he convicts the world of concerning sin. That people miss the mark. Now, when you encounter an unbeliever, I know you have because you were one at one point, so you had this thought process. You didn't think you were too bad, did you? You thought, well, I'm not as bad as the next guy, so I'm not too bad. I mean, God probably is okay with me because I'm a pretty good person. Oh, I'm not perfect, Uh uh-uh. No, but I'm pretty good. You know, I I try and do all the right things and all this kind of stuff. (laughs) And listen, God isn't asking you to evaluate yourself in terms of what the world says because what the world says is is meaningless in God's world. The idea is that you've missed the mark. Well, whose mark? His mark. It's God's mark. It's the mark of perfection. And the Holy Spirit is in the world to convict the world. Why? Because man is too proud to be convicted on their own. That's why. Because we think too highly of ourselves. Remember the moment when the Holy Spirit came to you knocked on your door and said, you are a sinner. You are wicked. You are, you're, you're terrible. You're despicable. Look at the things that you think. Look at how you act. You are such, you are so apart from God, you don't even understand. Remember that moment. If you haven't had that moment, then you have to ask yourself, have I really received forgiveness from God? Because the Holy Spirit comes into the world to convict the sinner, to help us to understand that we are despicable, that there is nothing good within us. And I don't mean to beat you down, but we got to understand who we are in order to receive what he's come to give us, right? And so that's part of the gospel is to understand that we're sinners. And we kind of just gloss over it and just say, oh, you'd kind of miss some things. No, you're terrible. You're terrible. You were evil. You were wicked. You have no intent for good. That's what it means to be a sinner. Not that you just kind of told a few white lies and stuff and stole a pencil here and there. No, you were despicable before, before the Lord. You were an abomination before him. That is what it means to be a sinner. And the Lord said, I love you anyway. And that's what I love about God is he sees us in not who we are, but who he wants us to be. And he loves us in those moments. We were sinners and the Holy Spirit helped us to understand that. Now, what does a sinner do? They reject Christ. That's what they do. They reject Jesus because Jesus is the polar opposite of who we are. He is perfect. We are not. You know, he, he's just trying to tell me how to live my life. No, he's trying to tell you how, you sh- how you're supposed to live your life. He's trying to help you understand what it means to, to, to be perfect because he is perfect. Well, I can't do that. Exactly. That's the point. You ever seen those good, um, good person cards? You know, it's got a thumbprint on it. Here, put your, put your thumb on here. Let's see if you're a good person. It's a printed card. It's not going to change. That's the point. Every person that puts their thumb on it, it's not going to change. You're not a good person. That's the point. We're not good people, but God loves us anyway. And, that's, and, and so he helps us to understand these things. The Holy Spirit is the agent. He is, he, is the, he is God that has come down to convict the world of our sin. He's helping us, he, helping, number one, unbelievers to come to know that in their own lives. And he doesn't just do it, you know, sort of in this overall, you know, arching, you know, he hovers over the world and he's just convicting people. He does it through his agents, which is us. We're, we're agents of the Lord. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses you and I to convict people. Well, you're judging me. Not if the Holy Spirit's speaking through you. Not if the Holy Spirit's speaking through you. If you're, if you're, regur- if you're repeating God's words, you're not judging people. You're warning people. Now, you can have a judgmental heart. Be careful as an agent of the Holy Spirit that you're not, that you're really an agent of the Holy Spirit and not trying to, be a legalist or something like that, but be careful. But the Holy Spirit will use you in this way to help people to come to the place where they understand that they're sinners. That's why we have to bow our knee to the Lord. We have to receive what he's come to give us, righteousness, 
That's what he goes on to tell us. Secondly, concerning righteousness. Listen, the fact that we're sinners means that we have um, transgressed against God's law. There is condemnation for that. We will be judged for that. Why? Because God is righteous. The Bible tells us that God's law is righteous, that it is right, that it is just, that it is good, and that as we transgress from that, the Lord wants us to help us to understand that we are transgressing against his righteousness. God is righteous. He's perfect, and he requires perfection. And the Bible tells us that anyone who will enter the kingdom of God has to be perfect. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm in big trouble. As they would say in Montana, I'm up the creek without a paddle in this situation because I can't be perfect. There's no way for me to. So what do I do? Believe in Jesus. Receive Jesus. Turn your life over to Jesus. He told us, he told us this in Matthew 5.20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. You can't become righteous apart from Christ. He's saying that look at, the, look at the scribes and Pharisees. They were the most righteous people in their world. I mean, you, you would think like, oh, man, look at Billy Graham. He has to really be living his life for the Lord. He's a sinner. The scribes and Pharisees are sinners. Jesus says if you're going to get into kingdom of heaven that way, you have to exceed what they're doing because they're failing. Well, the point of it is do you come to the conclusion who can be saved then? That's the point. He wants us to understand that nobody can be saved in their own righteousness we have sinned. We have fallen short. And if only the, the righteous inherit the kingdom of God, I'm in big trouble unless God provided a way. Thankfully, that's what the Word of God says, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He said, He made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. I love that verse. Because it tells me that although I am not righteous, Christ is righteous. He talks about the great exchange that Jesus takes. I trade in my filthy rags for his robe of righteousness, and I receive that which I need, righteousness. Not because of merit or because of who I am, but because of who he is. Literally, you become clothed with Christ. You're righteous. So live like it. Live like it. You're clothed with Christ. You have the righteous the robe of righteousness on so live like it you have the power to live like it so do it thirdly he says i will convict the world regarding judgment what is he saying well we're sinners we've fallen short we're unrighteous people therefore there is judge we will be judged one day for for our error we will be judged by the lord there's judgment coming one day jesus himself will judge the world and the Spirit is convicting the world through the Word, through His church, through His Spirit, that they're guilty, that they're condemned, and that there's a consequence for that. People don't want to hear that, particularly in this day and age. Oh, consequences? You mean there's consequences for my actions? Yeah, there are. And here's the misnomer. You become a Christian, there's no consequences. Listen, there's still consequences for your sin. You might be here today and you might be dealing with something that, is in your past, and you're saying, well, the past is in the past. You know, I, I've been forgiven for all these things, and the Lord's saying, yeah, but the consequence is still there. It doesn't mean that he removes the consequence completely. You know, and so then we have to ask, particularly when it comes to kids, right? I mean, there are decisions that we make as adult, as, as people in life, and maybe we, we get, you know, we got pregnant outside of marriage, or maybe we got a divorce, we're a single person or whatever. We're, we're, we're in a situation where there's consequences. Maybe we got married to the wrong person, unbeliever, believer, you know, and now we have this situation we're trying to deal with, and we're saying, man, I thought this, was, this isn't going to be easy, is it? Because sin is hard. And, and although God forgives us of our sin, there are still consequences for our sin. There's still things that we have to deal with. God isn't going to judge you for those things, but they don't go away. That was, a, that was for free, by the way. That wasn't in my notes. So anyway, um, the point of this is that Jesus is saying that, he, that the Holy Spirit is going to come into the world and remind the world that there is a judgment coming. There's a judgment coming. You don't want to be sitting at the judgment seat of Christ. You don't want to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. That's why the Holy Spirit is in the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, that we wouldn't have to deal with that. Listen, if you take hell out of the equation, there is no judgment. There's no judgment. If you take hell out of the equation, if you remove hell from the gospel, Christian, 
you're removing a third of what the Holy Spirit came to remind the world of. Don't water down the gospel. Help people to understand what they are. They're sinners. That they lack righteousness and that there is a judgment coming. That is one half of the gospel, folks. We have to remind people of who they are and then we remind people of what Jesus has done. And then the choice is theirs. Jesus has come into the world to save us. And so he takes care of those three things that the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of. Aren't you thankful? Because as a believer today, you know, although I'm a sinner and I sin, he has not made, he has taken me, he has made me perfect in God's eyes. When God sees me, he sees his son. You know, and I have the capacity to walk in righteousness because the spirit of God is within me. Now, I'm going to fail here and there, but I'm going to get up and walk forward and keep pressing on towards the prize until I am totally perfect in heaven. God has given me the righteousness that I need through Christ. The judgment that I once was under, no longer. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are never going to stand before God and answer for everything that we did in terms of sin. As a believer, we get a different judgment. It's more of a reward ceremony. The Lord looks at what you've done after you became a Christian and he says, well, here's all the good things that you did and here's, here, here's how you isolate, here, here's how you, you know, set your life apart for me and you did these things and I will reward you for those things. You will never stand in judgment for, before Christ as a believer. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for that. He loves us. He loves us so much. He loves us too much to allow us to go into this world under the facade that we are good people and that we are, um, you know, not so bad and that, you know, we're going to somehow, some way get into heaven by the skin of our teeth. That God loves you too much to allow you to believe that. And I'm thankful because that's what I believed. As an unbeliever, that's what I believed. I believed that as long as I, my good deeds outweighed my dad, bad deeds, where does that come from? That's the world. That's where it comes from. Just try and be good. God will, God will, God will, you know, you're, you're good. You're, you're good. You'll be able to do it. The Spirit came to convict the world. Not only that, the Spirit also came to be a guide. Look at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but... You cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Just as a child needs a parent to guide them in this life, so too do believers need the Holy Spirit to guide us along the treacherous path. We need God within us. He's going to show us the way. When things are dark, he's going to bring clarity in times of fear. He is going to lead us into areas that you and I would never go on our own. He's going to do all these things because he's our guide. He's going to lead us into all truth. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit does that because we need help with truth, don't we? Truth is not relative, folks. It is absolute. You know, there are those who want to reject the idea um, that truth is absolute, and they'll say, there absolutely is no truth. Well, isn't that an absolute truth that you just said that? You're absolutely saying there's no truth. That's an absolute truth. That's a, you, you contradict yourself when you try and say there is no absolute truth. There are those that believe in pluralism, that believe that, you know, well, what's good for me is good for me, and what's good for you is good for you, but, but what's good for you might not be good for me, and what's good for you, it might not be good for me. I already said that, but you, you get the point. You understand it. Pluralism. A cannot equal B unless there, you, you, you can't do that. It combats itself. It contradicts itself. There is absolute truth, and this Holy Spirit has come to lead us into all truth. He will not lead you astray. He is not going to tell you something that is outside of truth. You can trust the Spirit of God. So what do we do when we're, we're well, Lord, how do I know? This is called discernment when the Holy Spirit begins to speak into your life how do I know that this is the way I'm going to go what's the Holy Spirit telling you what is he saying he's not going to contradict God's word by the way well the Holy Spirit's telling me to do this to to be in this relationship well what does the Bible say about that well it's contrary well that's not the Holy Spirit then is it the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth he understands what truth is you know and so he's going to guide us into all truth not our perception of truth but the truth, and we need help with that. He's going to help us with it. Listen, he is going to lead us into the very words of Jesus because what Jesus said was true. Everything Jesus said was true. He's not going to lead us outside of the truth. The Holy Spirit 
will also never overtake a person. He's not going to make you go into truth. Do you know that? The, 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 spirit of the, uh, you know, the spirit is subject to the prophet. In other words, I can do whatever I want. Even, if, even as a Christian, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and you can choose to walk away from truth. You can choose to, to, to walk in falsehood. You can choose to believe something that's called sin when you do that. That's what it's called. It's not a truth. It's called sin. When you reject the Holy Spirit and you walk away from where he's calling you to go, it's a rejection of truth. Listen, the Holy Spirit, as we go on here, uh, you know, the third thing that he does is he glorifies the Son. That means he sa- everything he says is in sync with what Jesus said, and it brings glory to Jesus. If you're thinking the Holy Spirit is leading you to do something that's that it, contrary to God's word and defames the Lord, it's not the Holy Spirit. You're listening to the wrong voice. It's real simple. He goes on here, verse 14, the work of the Spirit is glorifying the Son. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit won't draw attention to himself, but magnify the Son of God, just as Jesus magnified the Father. The Holy Spirit will not draw attention to himself. Pay no attention. We're going to throw some music in the background. But listen, here's the point. The Holy Spirit will lead us to Jesus Christ, to the feet of Jesus. He will get our eyes on Jesus. He will not lead us astray from Jesus. If you think you, you know, you've been offered a job and you're going to take this job, is it going to lead you to the feet of Jesus or not? That it's not the Spirit of God. You know, it, it, whatever you're dealing with in life, if, you're, if there are decisions that you need to make today, and you're asking yourself, man, how do I know this is the Lord? Does it lead you to the feet of Jesus or not? It's very simply that God is saying that the Holy Spirit will always lead us to the feet of Jesus. He will say all eyes on Jesus. The Holy Spirit will never magnify himself. Look at John 15, 26 and 27. Here's what Jesus said. He said, the Holy Spirit will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit will testify the word of God and he's going to individualize it for you and I. He's going to lead us to the feet of Jesus and he's going to help us to see the truth that Jesus is trying to present to us this morning even. It's about the spirit of God. The Bible tells us that he is our teacher. 1 John 2:27. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, it is no lie, just as it has taught you abide in him. Here's the whole point. This is what it all boils down to, folks. You can trust the Spirit of God. You can trust him because he is going to lead you right into the feet of Jesus. Your eyes will be fixed upon him. So we need the Holy Spirit. If Jesus thought that it was to our advantage that he go away, the reason it was to our advantage is that the Holy Spirit was, would come. How important is the Holy Spirit? Super important. More important than Jesus being here physically, actually. God coming within us to give us the power to live the life that he's called us to, to, help, to regenerate our heart, to give us the right attitude, to fill us with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. Listen, apart from the Holy Spirit, we don't have that. That's why Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. You can't live the Christian life in the flesh, folks. You need the Spirit. Jesus pleaded with his disciples in these very last moments in their sorrow. It's so hard. I don't want to see you go. We don't want to see you leave, Jesus. We want you to be with us forever. And Jesus said, oh, don't worry. I'll be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you, but I just won't physically be here. But, but the Spirit of God will come inside of you. And he will take you into the world, and you will make disciples through him by his power. He will give you remembrance of the things that I've said so that you might teach those around you those things. Listen, you might be here today and you're like, man, I don't know what God's call is for my life. And, and you know what? You're called to be filled with the Holy Spirit and that's all you need to know. That's it. He will lead you. He will show you. He will help you to take the gospel into the world to, to make sure that your life is aligned. He will help you to be reminded of God's word and he will teach you God's word. 
Listen, but, but God won't do what you're supposed to do, will he? You simply have to lay your life down before the Lord, you know, and surrender and allow the Spirit of God to work through you. That's it. It comes back to surrender. And so as we close here, just remind you, these are saints that save, by the way. So what Jesus is trying to do is save you from a lot of hardship, but trying to live the Christian life on your own. And he's saying, I want to I save you from all that difficulty. And so he said, understand, point to the Holy Spirit. He'll point to me. I'll point to the Father. It will be perfect. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, man, it's a struggle. I'm trying to walk the walk and I'm struggling. Listen, today the answer is simply surrender to the Holy Spirit. You know, just surrender. Maybe if you don't have a relationship with Christ today, you just surrender to the Holy Spirit. He came into the world to convict the world uh, of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and he's here this morning, and he's doing that because that's his work. So if that's you here this morning, listen, there'll be some guys up here to pray with you, and you just come forward and you ask the Lord to, uh, um, to just tell him, hey, I want, I want Jesus in my heart this morning. Or if you're struggling with something and you want help, you know, come, ask the Lord, surrender to him this morning. There'll be some guys up here to pray. You can come uh, up and pray at the altar, but let the Holy Spirit lead you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, God. We thank you for these sayings that save us, Lord, from the judgment that's to come, Lord, from deceiving ourselves, from all these things in, in, in our hearts and our minds, Lord, that are not true. We thank you that you have sent your son to be the perfect sacrifice that we might be able to obtain forgiveness. And then you sent the spirit, your spirit within us to, have, to remind us of all the things that Jesus said, Lord, that we might be not caught off guard from the things that we'll encounter in this world and to empower us, strengthen us, Lord. And so this morning, Father, you know where every heart is. You know what every heart needs. We're asking you by the Spirit now just to lead us into all truth. Help our hearts not to reject what you want to do, Lord. So we sub surrender ourselves to you, Lord. We ask you to fill each person here, Lord, with a, with a baptism of your Spirit and just help us to be empowered to live the life that we're called to. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.